Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is one 888 844-GROW. That's 1-888-844-4769. Long distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by the Chaos Killer, a Silicon Valley veteran, someone with a deep background in joint ventures, lead flow systems, marketing, scalable systems, and productivity. His name is Charles Bird. Charles has founded and led multiple enterprise-wide departments at a billion-dollar software company and managed programs with budgets exceeding $5 million. Charles is a public speaker, trainer, and lifelong learner. He is passionate, He passionately combines technology and productivity and is a recognized expert in the field. He is a super connector, booking two to six joint ventures a week. He produces impactful productivity and JV courses, is a webinar expert, a workshop leader, and teaches and presents to thousands. I've asked him to join us here today so we can build better relationships, organize our teams, reduce anxiety, and hopefully double our businesses. So Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, doing well, Daryl. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, it's been an honor and a pleasure. You know, we've known each other online for probably, I think it's over a year, maybe two, three years. Kind of seen you around and just having spoken with you the few times, I really do appreciate your, your just authentic way of engaging. You know, like even when we first talk, I like you've just got a calm pace of speech about you and that. And so it's an honor to be here because not only just because the clients I hear you're working with, but just how you carry yourself and how organized you've been through this process of getting the, uh, the interview. I'm, I'm excited for the call because I think there's a lot to learn. Now, I know a little bit about your story, but for the listeners here, can you maybe get into this? Like, how did you even get into marketing and sales and entrepreneurship? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs or what's your what's your story? Yeah, so I think it, it is certainly good to to share these kind of stories because some sound like they were just made for a book, but others are, are forged completely differently. So when I grew up, my both parents were professionals. My mom in the healthcare industry, my dad also, he was a VP of a big hospital in Toronto and the School of Business in in Loma Linda and Southern Cal. So certainly people that aspire to 
big things and to make a big in- impact, but being an entrepreneur was certainly not one of those things. So I got a business degree, and I, I kid you not, coming out with a business degree, the idea of being an entrepreneur, it was almost not even mentioned, even in the programs. So, of course, that was possible. But the idea was you go get a degree and then you get a job and then you have a career. So that's exactly what I did. I got a a business degree, got my first job out of college running, working on a help desk for a big Silicon Valley company, software company. And like it, it truly didn't even, it never even registered that that was a possibility for me. And then I had the uh, corporation pay for my master's degree in information technology. And I ascended through that model going from first level support, second, third level support, running my own projects, ultimately founding my own departments and running enterprise-wide rollouts and uh, trainings and so forth. So that was for 6,000 enterprise Silicon Valley folks working for the company, which had its great parts and the pay was was awesome and certainly nice impact, but not the kind of impact you can have as an entrepreneur. And, and really what happened, one of my friends from college that I used to hang out with and, and have probably too much fun with and go snowboarding and all of this, someone perhaps you wouldn't even think of out of school as someone who would be successful started a a company and and actually he was a nurse and so him and his uh fiance at the time and then wife started a wooden sunglasses company and mm. it, you know they were putting together these wooden like carving them with water I don't even know what they're called, but they're basically <laughs> water cannons. It carves the wood with high water pressure. Wow. And, and putting these things together in at friends' houses' backyards. And next thing you know, three years later, it's just taking off. And it was my first clue that my peer group was capable of being entrepreneurs. It was the first time I was like, oh, what? We can do that? Mm, 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 mm. So... All right, so that was kind of your first kind of hint to even do something on your own. What and I want to back up a little bit because in rolling out these programs and working within kind of corporate structures, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced and had to overcome? What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned? Because I'm sure sure that served you well as an entrepreneur. Well, obviously, to thrive in that kind of environment, you need to deliver. You need to be good at uh, teamwork. Some of the biggest challenges, obviously, are the bureaucracy and and always needing to go through approval chains until you finally run your own show, which that was the most fun, honestly, running the things I did. I actually created, I mean, I worked in IT. There's nothing ultra exciting about it. I mean, conceptually, it's cool, but day to day, you're like, you know, server rooms and outages and this and that. Mm. So... I created something called ITTV, which kind of took a CNET style interviews and I'd make these really funny commercials for the projects that I was rolling out to the enterprise. So I found ways to actually make it a lot more fun and engaging. And that's actually where I also got my start in video production other than making music videos in the band I played in. 
So it it was a wonderful place to learn skills in project management, in uh, coming up with innovative solutions, uh, in that case, getting approval for management. So that takes social skills and basically being good with conveying information and then planning those projects, assembling international teams, building solutions and rolling them out. And some of them could be months, other projects were years. And so if you look at that from the entrepreneur lens, we're wearing all those hats too. All day, every day. (laughs) And then some. And in fact, it's a huge strength to be so flexible (laughs) running a smaller show. But on the other hand, there's so much more responsibility. You have to base, you're responsible for everything. So, yeah. No, I, I love, so just to pull some of those out, I think some of the really most powerful things was like teamwork and social skills, not just within the company, but even internationally. I think that's like cultural skills. I think that serves you really well. I loved how you said that you found a way to make it fun because that's really, really, really important for as entrepreneurs. We can get very serious if you're shy on payroll or if you've got bills coming up or if you know, you're behind on your targets or just things aren't going the way you want. You feel like you're doing all the right things but not getting the results that you feel you deserve. That can be really frustrating and it can create you know, a level of, of tension and stress. So I love that you say that you found a way to make it fun and I think that's really important. I just want to emphasize that. And then project management. That's a huge, huge part of any business. And so I really, really appreciate you having mentioned those. I think that that just shines through, like engaging with you already that I can just see that. Like you're good with people. You've made it entertaining and fun for us to interact. And I think the project management part is super important. So, okay. So now you've you've developed these skills. You've overcome these challenges. You're getting this experience. Your friends launched this uh, wooden eyeglass uh, wooden sunglass company. You've been impressed. So where does that lead you? All right. Well, really, what happened was I I met my friends in San Francisco, and I was like, okay, I want in on this. They they also started started a wooden watch company, which superseded the first company within six months, and they were just killing it, buying uh, multiple properties and warehouses in San Francisco, which I'm sure you know what the property values there are. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. What, I, I'm going to make wooden pick. I, I'm going to make something out of wood. I, I want in. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And they were, they looked at me and they're like, you've got all these digital skills and video skills. Why don't you focus on information products? Then you're not trying to source stuff from, well, they source a lot of their stuff from China. You don't have to source. There's no shipping. There's no any of that. And a huge, it was like a cartoon moment. A massive light bulb went off over my head. I'm like, I actually do have, I don't know exactly, but we'll say 80% of these skills already. All I need to learn is the marketing. I already know how to create trainings. I already know how to shoot videos. I'm already technically savvy with the solutions I use. So all I really need to learn is... It's the marketing. So no then I really <laughs> dove I dove deeply into that, mm. basically going to a lot of events, buying programs, and and some of the programs were fantastic. So you get so excited. You're like, cool, well, I'm going to buy that program, and I'm going through this program and this, and I'm going to make this amazing hybrid and put them all together. And then you figure out when you're trying to st- strap together six different programs, you end up with a disaster. So then I realized, 
I needed a foundational strategy. And for me, that was joint ventures, relationship building, basically finding people with the audience you want to serve, building high quality relationships with them, value first relationships, meaning you're getting into their orbit and finding ways to help them. And then the uh, (laughs) magical outcome tends to be they don't mind helping you back. And next thing you know, you're booking a lot of joint ventures. Yeah, now that can be incredibly powerful because, I mean, I always say there's only three ways to get traffic. You can buy it, borrow it, and build it. And so buying it would be paid advertising or sponsorship. Borrowing it is exactly what you're talking about, where you're leveraging other people's money, other people's time, other people's resources, other people's effort. You know, you're borrowing, and even right now you're borrowing my audience. I've built an audience of a podcast following over a few years, and you're stepping in and borrowing it by providing value in exchange for a chance for everyone's attention. So it's a really, really, really powerful method to, for growing any business. Now, how did that go? Was it easy? Did it just kind of like, you know, did you figure it out from the beginning where some where did you trip up over anything? Like what were some of the lessons that you learned or was it just like easy sailing the whole way through? <laughs> you know, that's not the case. Basically, um, I did realize very quickly that relationships would be key. So even before the well, the first course I created was a course teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to apply Evernote to their business and their life. It's an app that 93% of your audience has probably heard of, three-fourths of them have it. And if I ask them, how many of you know you could be making better use of it or plan to use it more, 93% would, would raise their hand. So I created the course, and before it was even finished, I started connecting with people and uh, getting on their radar, whether in person or online, meeting with people, finding ways to provide them value. So by the time the course was ready, I already had a network of people prepared to support it. Now, as you know, when you start with joint ventures, you're certainly not working with, they're sort of called the A-level players. You, you got to work your way up. And, and actually, that's a good thing because if you're working with people with smaller lists, 1,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, you get this amazing opportunity to start honing your message, getting better at presenting, finding any questions that tend to come up over and over so you can address them proactively, and you're building a network of support so that, like by the time we did our first full-on Jeff Walker PLF launch, we'd done a ton of webinars and we had 47 partners support our first launch, including Brian Tracy, wow. which would be absolutely impossible without connecting with these people, showing how you provide value, and at the same time, honing the message. So by the time you are working with the big players, things land, they convert, they make a big impact and help people. So it's been a, a journey and Really, how it works is you start small, and what I teach and do is take any little win in your world, actually just like you did at the top of our call today before we started recording, you did it perfectly, I'll I'll point out. You pointed out wins in your world. You noted you landed two new clients yesterday. You noted you got your workout in. 
you take the momentum in your world and parlay that into every interaction and it, it creates an upward positive spiral that just keeps domino effect. Mm, mm, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, just every day, just trying to improve by 1%. That's all you can really do. We actually, we actually talked, talked about this before, how you can't necessarily control outcomes, but you can control your input. And so as long as you know, you know, if I keep going to the gym and I keep doing 100 push-ups, you know, I'm going to get to my goal if that's, you know, an activity that would reach you to your goal. So um, now I know for some of the people here, they're wondering, well, how do you connect with these people? Like, how do you, how do you approach someone and say, hey, can you, you know, promote me to all your customers? Like, how does that conversation go down? All right, it goes down like this. So you can do this whether you live in a remote part of the world or you have access to travel. So point being, you can do this online, offline. I certainly use a hybrid of those. And let's use an online example because it's it's so accessible. So let's assume for a moment, and this may not be true for everyone, but Let's assume you already have a product or service or consulting package. You know who your audience is that you want to serve. If that's the case, where you're starting, you simply, if you know who your audience is, you're also going to know the other leaders that they follow. And so I I like using this example because it's one in my own orbit, but Brian Tracy, he's got a massive audience. A lot. Everyone knows him. Yeah, he's been doing this for like eight years. <laughs> like literally, and and so he's got this massive following. He's built all this trust over the years, and he's known in the business world, the sales world, and productivity. So I have a course that helps people with productivity, and Brian Tracy's not about to run out and make an Evernote course. But I have one, and and he knows it's of great benefit to his audience. So it's a positive thing for his followers to share my content because it complements his message perfectly. And that's really a a huge key to this. As you uh, get in people's orbit, for one, you're trying to listen and find ways to provide them value. Two, you're assessing if you believe your product or service is a strong fit for their audience. And in that example, it is. And and you start small. The way that worked with Brian, his JV manager at the time was managing a few different Facebook groups for existing customers. And I don't know if, if you know how it works when you do webinars for Facebook groups. They tend to not really get much of any traffic. And I knew that, but I proposed doing it anyway because I knew after they saw my content – they wouldn't want to limit it to a Facebook group of a few thousand people. They'd want to get it to 500,000 people, which is exactly what happened. So you take the little the little steps to get in front and provide value. So I was like, look, you've got these buyer groups. I have this content that could really complement uh, the package that they bought, and I'll, I'll give this training for free. And I'll offer a deeper dive training and we can share the revenue. So frequently you could, if you're an expert in a particular area, you could be invited to present to a mastermind group or a membership site group um, or a segment of a bigger list. You can simply approach a bigger player and say, look, I'm not particularly trying to get in front of your whole group, but 
I think there's some synergy here. Do you see it? If if they also do, which is obviously key, then you can talk about doing a test promo to a smaller subset so they can just see how it performs. So I love this. Let's let's drill down in this for a second. So you talked about first you have to first you have to have a product or service and you have to know who it's for and and I think a lot of people be like, yeah, 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 like, like lots of people listening might be, I know that already, but I, I also just want to emphasize myself, I've made the mistake of not niching down enough, and I talked to so many business owners where they're for everybody, and if you're for everybody, you're for nobody, because when you go shopping, you don't buy a shoe, you buy a dress shoe, a running shoe, a hiking shoe, a, a swim shoe, you buy a, a shoe for a specific purpose, specific niche, there are riches and niches, bitches, so try to remember that, <laughs> and um so have a product or service and know who your audience is and and then align yourself with your potential JV partners goals and their audience's goals. You know, you have to make sure that that's a good match, right? Cuz and then the next thing that you said, which I think is really powerful is that when you approach them, you your offer was, "Hey, let's give this thing away to your audience for free." So you're actually making the JV look like a hero. You're like, "Hey, it would take you so much time and energy and effort to create this, right? You need to create this course, create this training. Take a look at mine. It's top quality. We can give it away for free. And if people like it, I'll offer them this as a deeper dive training, which I think is fantastic, right? Offer this as, a, as, as more going in deeper on the same thing this free thing is, and I'll share that revenue with you. And just again, for people that are new to this, like the power in that is that there's no real upfront cost for you, right? Like you're, you're giving away information products. So the, you know, it's, it's infinitely scalable. Digital downloads don't really cost a whole lot. And then you're not spending any money on marketing. You're not spending any money on staff and training all this stuff. You're really just putting the offer out there and you're borrowing all this stuff that they've already put together. So just want to emphasize that for people that this is a new world for them <clears throat> to understand the fundamentals here. And that that's perfect, Dale. Thanks for summarizing that. And here's another, like it's it's sort of amplifying and, and echoing. Let's say you've got a product or service and you're like, I want to play with Facebook ads. Some people actually figure them out and they do they do just great. But <laughs> while you're figuring it out, money is flying out. And you pay whether they perform or not. Uh-huh. Where with joint ventures, you pay based on results and sales. Now, one thing I want to make very clear, you always be want to be very candid where you're at with your product or service. So I have multiple products uh, for something like my Evernote course. I can tell you exactly how it's going to perform because I've done it hundreds of times and I know what it's going to do in general with the the right aligned audience. And for other products, I, I tell people to be as upfront as possible so expectations are exactly where they need to be. So if you've got a product that isn't exactly tested, maybe you've tested it with your own audience here or there, the numbers, maybe who knows what your audience may be, but you've tried it with list of 3,000 and you've tried it with this partner Point being, be very candid and let them decide if it's something they're interested in, in a way, taking a risk on because they know the value that's there for their people is uh, so worth it. But I also want to back up. Before you would approach to line up a deal, you want to find ways to provide them value. So most of the big players that promote me promoted me before I ever promoted them, which is not how it works. And the way this works is you promote the big player for months or years, 
and then maybe they throw you a bone the other way. But if you find ways to provide them value outside of the the typical cookie cutter cliche ways, for one, you can become more valuable for them. And two, they view you differently. They view you as a peer. They don't view you um, really any other way. And then you are playing the game as an insider. And one of the easiest things you can do is provide introductions. So I'll just give you a very simple example that works great. So let's say you're going to an event and you have this conversation and meet a Facebook ad expert and you turn around and talk to a copywriter and then you talk to someone with a huge entrepreneur list that's, you know, they're looking for for offers. I had a call yesterday with a great partner, ongoing partner of mine. He was like, I'm looking for good offers to promote. So imagine then you talk to some heavy hitter that's kind of outside of your direct league and they're doing a product launch and they need a copywriter and they need a Facebook person. Now you have introductions to provide them. Say, hey, why don't I introduce you to so-and-so who's across the room here. They've got a list of 300,000 and your audience is perfect for them. You just provided both of them a massive amount of value, and all it took was you paying attention to who people are and what they do and who they serve and then just connecting the dots for them. So a lot of the very big players who promoted me first, it's because I'd been giving them introductions to people at their level. And I also think like you aligned yourself as an ally. like you, you know, You became a soldier for their cause, so to speak connecting them with people that can help them achieve their goals. And then now Precise. that's, yeah. And so now you're a valuable asset an ally and, you know, and again, it's, we're humans were built in reciprocity. So if you do enough, there's more than just money. Like people crave recognition more than money, but there's also many forms of currency beyond just fine, like money and finance. Money and finance is just like a, the basic, most basic one. But like you said, there's so many other ways to leverage the assets you have. And a lot of people, they're just not, they just don't see it. They're not being as creative. They don't realize all the assets they have. There's all sorts of things you can do by sharing. Like there's co co work spaces, right? That kind of bridge from people that hey want to share an office. When I had my martial arts school, I shared it with another martial artist. He was more about kids. I was more about adults. So it was great. It worked out really great. We had different schedules, different times. So there's 101 ways you can partner with people and share resources, share sales team, shares knowledge and input. And it's just about like again. Even if you don't have an ethical bone in your body, it only makes sense to really be about helping people, even maybe your competitors, yeah, because like everything's going to be constantly evolving and moving forward, and you don't know where you what you're going to need five you know five years down the road. And so what you might think is you know protecting your moat or your castle today could actually just be isolating you from everybody else. And five years down the road, you might really need that helping hand, you know. So I think it's just yeah. It's very true. And in fact, uh, some of my best partners and friends easily could be viewed as competitors. But the fact is, we're not. We're serving the same niche in different ways that are very complementary. So on its surface, you could go, well, they're in the JV or productivity space. Uh, I'm, I'm steering clear of that. My best partners are in the productivity and JV space. Yeah. So it's quite silly to do it that way. I've heard stories of, of industry people that 
were in a common area and the, a partner invited them to partner and they shut the door because they were scared and they actually created a competitor instead of a partner. Yes. Which yes. Which is uh, silly. You know, one thing that holds a lot of people back from joint ventures is they're afraid of what I call the reciprocation track. They're trap. They're like, well, my offer is good for their audience, but their offer is not good for mine and I don't want to cross promote. One thing I <laughs> instruct and guide people on Never start a conversation by saying, hey, let's cross-promote each other. You just put a fish hook in your lip for no reason. You can basically say, let's explore ways we can support each other. And maybe the best way I can support you is by telling you about some great tool that can solve a problem for you or doing an introduction or <laughs> inviting you as a guest to one of my events versus thinking I'm promoting them so they are promoting me like if that makes sense great but only make deals that are true compliments to the other party's audience mm, yeah i like that because you can't you know you can't walk around on your tiptoes all day and you can't walk around in a half squat all day so why fake anything just be authentic you know i think that that's kind of a real important lesson for this so now, what are some of the other biggest mistakes you see clients and other entrepreneurs making when it comes to doing JVs? Uh, well, there's, of course, many, but one is they'll they'll do one or two, and maybe they don't turn out like they want, so they they go, oh, I tried that. How many times as a kid did you fall off your bike? <laughs> like... Uh, the only way to get better at something is is to put in the time. And, and that's why I am a huge advocate of what I call having a foundational strategy. Again, it doesn't need to be what mine is, which is joint ventures, relationship building, integrated partnerships, and referral networks, which is really all part of the, the, the two, two sides of the same coin. It's You got to put in the time on whatever you want your expertise to be. If that's content marketing, Get freaking phenomenal at content and putting it out. If it's Facebook ads, figure it out and keep your head down. Uh, if it's joint ventures and relationships where you're getting free ongoing leads, which cre creates recurring dependable revenue, which hint, that's freaking awesome. That Then that put your time there. But if you're chasing four new things at once, you will fail at all of them. One of my favorite quotes about mastery is do it until it becomes dull and then do it until it's beautiful. You know, do it ah. until you get bored of it, but then keep doing it until you find you can appreciate it. You know, that's pers perseverance. Perseverance is all the hard work you do when you're already sick and tired from all the hard work you just finished doing. And it's just really tough to replace practice, you know. Now, the beautiful thing is everyone's heard of the 10,000-hour rule, but what a lot of people don't realize is that you, you get results along the way. So it's not like you have to hold your breath until you've put in 10,000 hours. It's just that once you reach 10,000 hours, you've achieved a level of mastery where it might seem effortless. But along the way, you know, and what also a lot of people don't know is apparently, I was really happy to find this, the, the, the gap from going from a novice to intermediate in anything, whether it's jujitsu, playing the ukulele, tap dancing, ballet, apparently it's 20 hours, 20 to 40 hours of focused 
practice gets you out of that awkward beginner stage and you are now in the intermediate stage. And then the next 9,180 hours is all about, you know, refining the basics, the fundamentals and, and learning the edges of this and, and being on the cutting edge of what's coming around the corner. And so, but just with 20 hours, you can get out of that awkward phase, you know? And so it's almost like what you say, like they try it once or twice and they give and go, oh, it doesn't work. Well, okay, but how many, you know, how many hours did you actually spend invested? And typically, I used to always say this when I have my martial arts, like the hours count when you're doing the work. It's not when you're at the gym thinking about it. It's not when you're sitting down on the mat talking to people about it. It's like actual focused effort, like time under tension, you know, like time focused. So I think that that's a really good message. I love that, that being that drum of just, you know, of grinding it out and not being afraid and really maybe doing your due diligence in the beginning to make sure that, you know, you're climbing up a ladder that leads somewhere. But once you've committed, put your head down and just, you know, keep working. Yeah, I, I like those two points you raised. Value on the way for sure. Even if you're smart, starting with smaller partners, you're still making sales. That's still revenue. You're still getting better at presenting, better at knowing objections before they ever come up, better at articulating the value. I mean, some of my webinars I've delivered hundreds of times and I'm making adaptations and improvements to them constantly. So that's, that's another point I want to raise. Continuous improvement. There's not actually a finish line. We keep improving it and dialing it in and that's how we can make a bigger and bigger impact because uh, you're getting the message out so succinctly after delivering it a bunch of times um, that now it's sinking in and, and hitting home for people and moving them from just listening to taking action, which means they get the results and benefits in their life. And it becomes highly satisfying to literally change people's life for the better. So what are some of the habits that you've helped you on your path to success and that the more successful people you interact with seem to have? Well, for one, some level of consistency, not changing the uh, the path every two weeks. I, I actually know quite successful entrepreneurs who do seem to be in a perpetual pivot, but uh, the thing is they take things across the finish line first. And so... It's uh, there. I think there's some Russian saying: if you're chasing two rabbits, you're not going to catch either uh, one. Yeah. So, it's and the truth is, I struggle with this mentally too. Although I know how to manage it, I I want to do thirty things at once. Our entrepreneur brains look at things in a vacuum, and we go, "Oh hell yeah, we could do that." Let's add it to the agenda, not taking into account all the other things we're already responsible for. So one way you could think of it, uh, let's say you had a, a school desk in front of you with 10 quarters on it, and you could only move one quarter an inch at a time. You could move each of the 10 quarters forward by one inch, or you could move one of the quarters all the way off over the, the finish line and actually get results from it. So it takes a diligence and focus to it's fine to lay out everything you want to do, but then you simply sequence it and then put in the time to get those across the finish line where they're delivering results for you. Again, kind of reflecting back on have a foundation that delivers results and then you can add to it. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it's one of my favorite words in the English language is the word until. 
because you don't give up. You don't like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it's going to happen. Like, did it happen? No, then keep working. Like, I always say that, especially like if I've been part of a project and I'm trying to get off the ground or if it's something new and we're trying to get like our, you know, our, our goal of minimum orders to validate the concept, proof of concept. You don't stop until you've collected the money on all those. Even if, oh, Joe, you know, Joe said they're going to buy and they're going to send money tomorrow. Oh, OK, well, until you get that money, keep working today. I really love that word until because it just gives a really clear, really defined clear, line. Defined like line, it's just, like it's, just... <laughs> it's easy to know when to stop. And, you know, and, and realizing that hope is not a strategy, that results are results. And the other one I want to say is focus, is acronym. Follow one course until successful. You know, it's kind of what you said. Like you can move one quarter each and, you know, make a tenth of the, the distance you could if you just focused on one quarter, got it across the finish line and then came back. Kind of makes me think of deep work, the concept of deep work, of like having long uninterrupted blocks of, of productivity, how you can just get so much more accomplished versus lots of little tiny chunks, you know. Oh, I'm a big fan of, of that. And the truth is, in, in reality, it, it's not easy to execute, but that the results come from when you do that. So what I talk to my clients about is you kind of have two ways to go about things. One, scheduling three or four hour or even day long deep work sessions where you're clearing your calendar, you're <laughs> turning off your email, you're putting your phone in airplane mode, you're, you're renting an Airbnb by the ocean, leaving your house to actually get something done meaningful. The other way to do it is, you know, put 10 minutes a day or whatever XYZ so it keeps moving forward. And, and that can be useful. But for me, the deep work is the most relevant because you get in flow state. You're, you're not task switching. So your brain just starts going deeper and deeper into the topic and you're connecting things you never would possibly be able to by task switching and working on it for 10 minutes. It's like even if you set a half hour timer, you get all your ducks in a row. You're actually starting to work right when the timer goes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's a couple of things that have been working really well for me. I've always been a fan of Pomodoros, but like you said, sometimes it can take that long. So it's, it's t- like, so anyone that's not familiar with the Pomodoro technique, it's like, all right, I have to work on this project today. How many palms do I want it to put towards it? How many 25-minute sessions do I want to spend focused on this task? And so it's not so much... I mean, it's it's energy management as much as it is time management. So instead of just oh, I'm going to work on this for an hour, you maybe won't be focused for that hour. It's like, hey, how many how many like getting all my ducks in a row, sitting down, actually working on it without distractions. How many 25 minute sessions of that do I want to get done in this project today? I find that to be really helpful. But also, like you were saying before, like distractions is such a huge thing, especially in today's day and age. I've actually experimented the last three months. I've like with my my I've canceled my phone plan. So you actually, you can call me. I have a phone number, but I can't make phone calls from my cell phone. I can't send text messages and I don't have data whenever I leave and I don't have Wi-Fi. And I found it to be phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal for limiting distractions because now when I'm outside, I'm not walking my dog and with my, you know, my wife and my daughter on my phone. I'm, I'm actually present in the moment. You know what I mean? Like I just have found it to be really great because it's just if you're constantly always connected and that stupid thing is constantly dinging and it's even just things you know like who's in control you or the phone you know and so it's that concept if someone wants to call me they can call me but if it's not on schedule i may not answer it and then also it kind of forces people to communicate through channels that i can better control and that way you know and put it on my own my own calendar so um 
might not be for yeah. everyone, but I've, it's funny because I was just thinking the other day, I was like, maybe I should go get some data. Like, as I really felt, and I'm like, no, I don't think I really need it. Like, cause even when you're out and about, you can get free Wi-Fi, from, you know, different hotspots all the time. And if you don't, if you're in between, just, just accept it. Like pick up a book, like, you know, do, do something else, plan, plan something. I just, it's just been working great for me the last few months. So I thought I would share now. Yeah. Charles, I want to ask, so, okay, so we talked about some of the mistakes, we talked about the habits, we talked about kind of the principles of getting started. How do you, is there, when does this really start to, so, okay, if if someone's done the little deals, they've had some wins, they've now established benchmarks, and what's important for that, just to clarify for people, is if you say you do 10 small partnerships with people and they promote your offer, you start to get an idea of a range of conversion to expect. So if it's a great audience, it should convert around this. If it's a bad audience, it'll convert around that. But typically it'll fall in between this window. Now, how do you blow that up? Is it just about getting bigger partners with bigger lists? Is there a way to systemize and onboard and manage more JVs at a time? Like what's the next level? Sure. So the way it's worked for me is I work with an array of folks from from very big partners to smaller partners to people that are info marketers, but they've never even done joint ventures. And in fact, some of those diamonds in the rough are, are your best ones because a lot of the big marketers, like it or not, they're mailing their list with offers all the time. And here's a fact. Some of the people that in general your jaw would drop that I'm working with. The promos with them aren't as uh, any more impressive than they would be with some of my other partners because they're they're mailing their list all the time. Whereas if I find a productivity writer who's got a solid audience, business audience, and they don't even do JVs when they promote me, it goes far. So it's kind of keeping an eye out for that. Another thing I noticed over time, booking two to six joint ventures every single week, like today I had two joint ventures, Todd Brown and David Gonzalez, which talk about two names to fit in the same day. (laughs) It's pretty remarkable. But basically, even booking a lot, here's the fact. It comes down to the 80-20 rule. 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of those partners. So it's it's very good to pay attention to which partners you like working with. You like their ethics, the way they, they work and think, and the, the audiences that respond the best to your offers and message and personality and so forth. So those are the people you want to nurture, rebook with, get introductions to other people in their network from. And the other 80% that don't particularly perform well uh, there's not a big reason to spend uh, time doing webinars with them. So you can have your 80% value from 20% of the partners and then be auditioning new partners to add to your uh, fold of uh, stable, badass partners. Mm, and I, I love that. So I think it kind of goes back to an earlier point we made where you can't necessarily control the outcome, but you can control your input. So if someone's going to go down this path and make this a foundational strategy, or if they have a foundational strategy up and running and they're looking for a new strategy because the other one is running and does not, you know, and has people that can manage it while something new is developed, um, 
that you can't control the outcome. So just be in it for in it. And it kind of comes back to, again, we talked about you can't chase two rabbits at once and the persistence and the, the focus and the mastery. To just do it because, like you said, you might find that the smaller partners that you were maybe practicing on and making air quotes here actually work better for you than the big partners. And that's something that I can relate to having worked with a previous client. We did some JVs and we found that when the JVs, when we did sales with JVs, 80% of our sales were on the three pay plan versus the paid in full. We got some paid ad stuff up and running and we found with paid ads that they were paying in full versus doing the three pay. And we, we didn't survey people to ask, but we think it's because the JV lists were being hit up in this particular network. Like you mentioned, some of the bigger guys are mailing so much. They were being hit up so much. The list, the people on the list could only make the payment, like could only afford the three payments because they're, you know, they're buying everybody's stuff, right? Whereas when we tap this kind of virgin paid ad audience, you know, and we couldn't have done that without having validated and proven our marketing with the JV stuff first as a caveat. That's, again, what comes back to what's really powerful about the strategy is that your partners give you input. You know, like if you're going to share something, maybe you think it's OK, but you show it to them and they don't they want you to make some edits first. They're like, well, this could be better. That could be better. And they'll actually help you improve your product service, your promotion. And it makes you better. And then again, you're, you get to test it without having to pay just to test it you can just pay for results and so that's kind of how this and this particular client that's how we did it we did a bunch of JVs. we we tested and refined everything and then we went and got paid ads but just to kind of to that point you you know if you can't control the output you can only control your input so what would you recommend anyone that's starting out and struggling what are some of the inputs that they need to be doing on a regular basis if they were to put these items on their calendar or they had like a weekly or daily to-do list what would that look like for someone who wants to be putting in a lot of input on this to get the output that you've you know that you've accomplished Sure. So the beauty of this is you can start very small. In fact, I had a, a private client session before this, and that individual happens to be relatively early in the process, earlier than than most of my higher end folks running some of the multi million dollar up to twenty million dollar businesses. And like one of my one of my clients that I worked with for 13 months was a former creative direct director at Apple who worked beside Steve Jobs for, for years. And oh, wow. so he knew marketing inside and out, but not internet marketing. So he had uh, no courses or offers or autoresponder, any of that. He had his client list and he had his network. And so you can start right where you are. Step one is... Stay in touch with people, people that you've worked with, people that you know, industry people. Keep yourself top of mind by keeping them top of mind. If you're reading some article and you're like, oh, I bet Daryl would like this because it, you know, it's, it's about something he's interested in, whether it's work-related or not, mind you. And then just you know, ping them. Say, hey, I was reading this thing and they were talking about you know, whatever, Elon Musk and neural implants. I think this article would be interesting for you. In fact, I kid you not, I've landed stages by helping someone get Burning Man tickets. (laughs) (laughs) So the point is, if you know what people are interested in or know what their goals are, it gives you a vast opportunity to help them. So when someone pops to mind, ping them, unless it's three in the morning. Basically, 
One of my friends told me this. He's like, if if you ever think about me, just shoot me a text or whatever. And I, I've carried that over to kind of my whole network. If if someone pops to mind, I just shoot them a, a quick little thing right then. You you might think, oh, I might this might bother them. I'm sure they're busy. I'll get to it later. And then you'll look up and nine months have gone by and you haven't been in touch. You're not top of mind. You're not warm on the, their referral list or anything. So step one, consciously put time into reaching out to people. You don't have to write novels or letters. These are just, hey, I was thinking about you. I'm walking the dog. What are you doing these days that has you excited? How long does it take to write that? So that's step one. Step two is you can start from wherever you're at. If you have a high ticket converting product or service, I can help you all that much faster. But if you have basically no list or a small list, you're on Facebook. You probably have some industry people on there. If you don't, I recommend start adding them. And then it's as simple as if if there's something you're passionate about or developing an audience for, start posting about that topic. Start providing value on the topic. Start asking questions of uh, what people's struggles or pain points are. In fact, I have a productivity Facebook group, and some of my members have done this. Like, what's what are some of the biggest things you're struggling with? And all the comments, it's information gathering for uh, products or services that you can create an, an offer to people. So that would be step two is um, start putting out content uh, related to the topic area and uh, have a product or service in mind, whether or not it's done. Maybe you're just in the idea phase. You can offer a pilot. In fact, when I first offered my Evernote course after doing a stage in San Diego to, a, uh, excuse me, San Francisco to a real estate audience, I just had an outline for the course and the initial presentation where I did the training and had an offer. And so every week I would put together an hour's worth of content, ask, said, you know, sent out, here's what we're going to cover next week. Is there anything else you want me to cover? So you can make the content while you're getting paid for the content. Uh, I, of course, didn't invent this idea, but it works quite well. I'm a big fan of that, that. Having whatever you need as a minimum viable product, um, and even before then, try to see if people will pay for it first. You know, like that's just such a you can. I've just I've made this mistake. I've seen so many people make the mistake. It's just a painful mistake of spending months, even years, developing something. I remember I was in a mastermind group, and the guy got into the hot seat. And this is earlier on, and he his big thing was okay. We raised a million. This is back when Flash was the new thing on the internet, where Flash websites, animated websites, was like the thing. And but Flash wasn't. You couldn't index Flash with Google search. So they got raised a million dollars, and they built this software tool that could allow Flash websites to now be indexed for SEO. And he's like, all right. So we raised a million, and we spent you know like eight hundred thousand developing the software. And now we need to find some customers. And everyone in the room was like, you should have spent $800,000 getting customers and then built the software for them, custom built with a ton of input and, you know, and money for gifts for your shortcomings. And, you know, that just would have been the better way to do it because they were like, now, you know, like, what do, like there's such a huge investment of like a couple of years and all that money and they had no customers. Like, it's so it's really a key thing to remember about for everyone here is who, again, there are riches and niches, bitches, who, who, 
who is your customer and why are they buying? Like who can you can you give them a name? Can you give them a profile? Like who is that person? That's just such a it's such an easy thing to skip over. I've done it more times than I'm 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 comfortable admitting, but it's just such a powerful and important part of that. So yeah. Um, so right, step one is stay in touch with people. Step two is produce content, ask questions, or share news on a topic you have a product or service in mind for. What was step three? Step three is start creating an outline of what you'd like to offer people because uh, the the ideas of what you'd want to include, I mean, sure, you could sit down and just kind of plan that stuff out, but what I find is you'll just, it will... Uh, pop into your head at random times little pieces. So maybe I find some new workflow based on something I'm doing and I'm like, oh, this would make a great piece for content or to put in a, a course. Or maybe Evernote comes out with a a new update and I'm like, uh, it, it just pops to mind, oh, I should make something from this. So start collecting that so you can make an outline of content or topics to create a course or program or consulting package out of and that gives you a framework to work from and it also helps define who you can help most uh, like in the most seamless way because you know what you can offer okay and then so we've we've stayed in touch with people we're producing content on a regular basis on this topic asking questions, we create an outline of what we think the product or service will be, and then what? Yeah, so uh, as you're de- building your network by staying in touch with people, seeing who the movers and shakers are in perhaps a particular Facebook group that has a bunch of your peers or people who already have your audience, look look for the people actually contributing something or it's ultra clear they know what they're talking about and already have a following. Start connecting with them, liking their posts, sharing stuff back and forth with them, inviting them to be on your podcast. In fact, oddly enough, this in the last week and a half, I've been invited on six podcasts. I've done two today. And it's just brilliant for many reasons. This is one of the techniques... I recommend beyond uh, just connecting online. People love coming on shows and talking about their products and things they're passionate about. And so if I invited some heavy hitter to just have a call with me and they don't know who I am, there's a great chance that's never going to happen. But if I invite them to be on my show, I've never had anyone turn me down for it. And I've interviewed people like David Allen, who actually pinged me last month to have me interview him again. So it gives you access to people you may think you wouldn't have access to. And it also gives you a chance to connect with them, to build rapport. It brings up an opportunity where you can do a little exploring to, to see in your head if you think their audience is very aligned with what you have to offer. And it can give them an opportunity to see what you have to offer because they'll likely see that overlap as well and you can pose the right questions to elicit that it can lead to new introductions and so forth and it's also building your authority when you're putting out content with heavy hitters it slowly rubs off onto your brand as well awesome so first of all a little pat myself on the back there good job daryl good job (laughs) 
So, all right, so that's step one, two, three, and four. And then it sounds like now you've got them on and you're suggesting interviews. But even if it's not an interview, if you're just engaging with them and sharing their content and showing up on their radar as someone that's kind of a soldier for their cause, someone that's supporting them and encouraging and putting their message out there, they kind of know who you are. You've, you've proven yourself to be an ally. Is step five to now try to talk to them about some sort of win-win arrangement, like you mentioned before, or like, hey, I've got something I'd like, and I think you might be interested in. Here's why it's a benefit to you and your audience. Kind of have that conversation. Is that kind of where to take it from there? Yeah, exactly. So let's say you do something like, a, and again, it doesn't have to be a podcast interview, but it's a nice example. You've spent the time connecting with them, and then as the interview wraps up, you could be like, Hey, so uh, what do you have going on coming up that you're excited about? Are there ways I can help you with that? Like, are you, is there anything, you know, you're looking to accomplish that's a, a challenge? Or you can also kind of say, you know, after we've talked through this, it's pretty clear this is what you, how you're serving your audience. I have XYZ that, that I provide. Do you think that would be useful for them? And you can... Simply pose the question. I will point out, you, in general, you don't want to approach people that are 20 weight classes above you, but as you are working your way up and starting to do more of these, it is uh, it starts becoming more and more acceptable to pose those questions or at least feel them out. And so if I can say I'm doing webinars with Brian Tracy and Todd Brown and David Gonzalez and 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 Mike Vilsame, then it's it's easier to approach the next person because you've got the uh, I guess social authority of your peer group to justify it. So you tend to ping pong your way up between partners, supporting them in various ways, and and them you and it's. I guess it's just all part of the ascension process. Mm, 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 mm. This has been so such a powerful call. It might seem simple, and there are some. There is devil, the devil in the details. Things like contracts and how do you follow up and and due diligence before you promote with people and protecting yourself and protecting your the people you're partnering with. So there's a lot to the details. But just as a high level overview, this has been a fantastic call, Charles. You've given so much value here. You've really talked about you know if anyone's just getting starting out or struggling, really easy to follow framework for them to just get their toes wet. And then going from that, how to like scale this up, how to actually push forward and get some practice. Is there anything I didn't ask you about this that I should have asked you? I don't think so. I, I would like to break it into five simple steps for people I call pure lead flow. And uh, basically, it's step one, connection. Step two, building what I call pure relationships. Step three, capture and tracking the details on the way. Step four, follow-up and advancement. Like maybe you... Like I met Todd Brown in a traffic and conversion hallway in February and just today he's now promoting. So if I didn't follow up, I can assure you uh, he would not be promoting right now. So that it's integral to have that. And then closing the deal, whatever that is, it could be a joint venture, it could be a direct sale. But this pure lead flow process breaks down into these five steps and I'll point some else out. And that is not every call is going to be a slam dunk win, but I, I will point out 
kind of a cool story related to how even a call where there is no joint venture that came out of it, if your intention is to always help people, really cool things happen. I I, uh, had a call with a guy who teaches different languages out of England, and he also has some memory training products. And it didn't particularly make sense for us to do a JV, but I introduced him to someone that could help him. And he introduced me to uh, a guy named Jonathan Levy, who was the top trainer on Udemy for many years. And I helped Jonathan meet a bunch of people he'd never met in Israel, because that's where he's from. And I introduced him to 12 other people there that they did a little mastermind. And next thing you know, Jonathan Levy's introducing me to Joe Polish, who I helped with different things for, for months. So, And that came from a call that there was no joint venture out of it. But since the mindset was on, let's make this a win one way or another, how can I help you? That's what led from it. So having that concept of just helping people and finding value uh, wherever it may be, it's, it's, it's wonderful to keep that top of mind. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, we're social creatures. So being, a, you know, a part of the community and helping people is just givers get and you're going to get it back a hundredfold. For those that are listening and they want to reach out to you, you've got a couple of ways people can get in touch. Um, what are some of the best ways to get in contact with you? I know you put on events as well. So can you maybe share some of the best ways for people to reach out if they want to meet you, have you help them meet the people that they're trying to connect with or help them through some of the details? What Again, what are some of the best ways to reach out? Sure. So for one, we do, uh, well, I'm biased, but a pretty phenomenal event called Pure JV. Our next one's coming up. March 28th through 30 in San Diego of 2020. You can check that out by going to purejv.com, purejv.com. And if you'd like to kind of schedule a time with me to chat and uh, kind of fill out an intake to help me determine different, the fastest ways to help you with things, you can go to scale.purejv.com. And if you want to just shoot me an email, you can email me by shooting one over to charles at birdword, B-Y-R-D-W-O-R-D.com. <laughs> Birdword.com. That's awesome. So once again, the URLs were, I got the scale.purejv.com, charles at birdword, B-Y-R-D-W-O-R-D.com. What was the first URL? Just uh, www.purejv.com. Awesome. Charles, thank you so much. It has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for coming and sharing with us. I know you've had a busy day today. This is the end of your day. And I know you have your own following and your own things going on. So just thank you for coming and sharing with my audience. I appreciate you, value, and I look forward to catching up in the near future. Awesome, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's been a fun conversation. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. 
It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.